0: you have your Bible, turn with me to Genesis chapter 11, first book of the Bible. We've been working on these chapters for eight weeks now. Today is the last week in this series, In the Beginning, God, In the Beginning, God. And we're going to be reading in Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 to 9. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As men moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. See, they wanted their 15 minutes too, right? And not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower that the men were building. The Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there all over the earth and they stopped building the city. That's why it's called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there, the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. Shakespeare, in his play Julius Caesar, uh, coins a phrase. And it's in Act 1 of Scene 2 of the play Julius Caesar. And sort of the context of it is that the people or a group of people have been urging Julius Caesar to take the throne. And at first he's reluctant, but I think it takes three different times. They encourage him to take it and eventually he does. And then after a while, a conspiracy comes together to kill him. And as this is all going on, a guy named Casa is commenting on a speech delivered by someone called Cicero. And Cicero thought he was a little better than other people, and he chose to deliver his speech in the Greek language. And he did this because he knew there would be a number of people who were not familiar with the language, didn't know the language, couldn't understand the language, and so he'd sort of have one up on them. And Casca listens to what Cicero is doing, and he says, I don't know the language, and then he coins the phrase, or Shakespeare does, It's Greek to me. And he's sarcastically saying, this guy thinks he's better than us, and he's saying something I don't understand. Let me ask you, why did God confuse the languages in Genesis chapter 11 so they couldn't communicate and understand one another? So we've been moving through these opening chapters for eight weeks now of the book of Genesis. And what we're discovering as we move through it, if you've been walking with us through this, is that there's some common themes that get played out over and over again. Common actions of mankind and then common responses of God. And I believe here in chapter 11, in these first nine verses, we're seeing this happen yet again. So at this time in the world, there's one language, and we don't know for sure from reading the text, particularly if you're reading chapter 10 and chapter 11, we don't know for sure if they only spoke one language or if they had a few languages, but also one common language that they would use to communicate with all the different people groups. And the reason I say that is if if you were to read in chapter 10, there's at least two places in chapter 10 where it's talking about the different people groups and it uses the word their languages in two different places. And so we're not sure, but at the very least, we know they have a common language that they can all communicate in. And so in Genesis chapter 3, when the rebellion, the open rebellion with God takes place, God moves them out of the garden. And if you're reading the text here, you'll see that he moves them to the east. And the migration eastward is continuing. And so it says in verse 2 that they continue east to the area that would later become This region that would be called Babylon to the to the plains of Shinar and at the plains of Shinar in verse 2 they once again do something in contradiction to what God has told them to do and they settle down in the plain of Shinar and they start to build a city and this is an act of rebellion yet again by these people because two times in Genesis chapter 9 that we looked at earlier. God tells them not to do that. He says to them, I want you to be fruitful and multiply and spread out across the earth. But instead of listening to what God says, they dig in and they settle there, perhaps led by a guy named Nimrod. There's a number of verses back in chapter 10 that suggest he might have been, don't know this for sure, but suggests that he might have been the one leading them to do this. And so they migrate eastward to the region of Babylon, and they pick this fertile plain of Shinar to set things up. So I want to talk to you for a few minutes this morning about technology, about technological innovation. Back then, when this took place in Genesis 11, and then technological innovation in our day and some of the things that comes as a result of this so somebody says Well, Scott technology like these are ancient times in Genesis chapter 11 what do you mean by technology let me explain let's read again verses three and four they said to each other come let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. And so they decide, in contradiction to what God has told them to do, to build a city and build a tower, likely something called a ziggurat which later became, archaeological uh, digs have discovered, a common structure in the region of Babylon. And what it looked like is, is really sort of a rough pyramid. And it would have uh, steps or a ramp, and it would become the focal point of their cities. And it would have become the focal part point of this city. And at the top of a ziggurat, they would build a shrine to any number of gods. And the reason they were able to build this quite significant structure is because of technological innovation. They had gone at this point then from building walls with stone to using fire-hardened bricks. Now... I'm not a structural engineer, but of course they couldn't uh, mill or whatever or cut stone like we can now. And so the stones they were using, as any stone would have, it would have irregularities in the shape and in the size. And so when they would put the stones on top of each other and use some primitive mortar to hold them together, there was only, there was a limitation on the height that they could build to and the size of the structure because the the weight of the stone, whether there be a little dip in the stone or a little hump in the stone, and they wouldn't be able to uniformly distribute the weight. But a uniform hard, fire-hardened brick with tar for mortar, they could use that to build larger and more significant structures. And so this was a significant It it sounds not a big deal to us, but for them, this was a huge technological advancement. Now, there's no problem with technological advancements. There's no problem with building a bigger and a stronger wall. The problem came from where that advancement took them in their mind. And the goal of doing this, and they say it right up front in verse 3, let's make a name for ourselves. Let's make a name for ourselves. And the results of using the bricks, I'm sure, were quite impressive, given that there was no other structures like that. And they took incredible pride in this, and they wanted to build a tower in which they made a name for themselves because they wanted their 15 minutes of fame, and they also wanted it in their minds to take them to the heavens. And in this, we see the second act of rebellion. Not unlike what happened in Genesis chapter 3. We see history repeating itself. If you read the stories of the Bible, you see history repeating itself in the stories of history. History repeating itself over and over again right up until today. Because we do the exact same types of things. So first of all, they rebel by disobeying God's instruction to fan out over the place of the earth. And now they've decided to build themselves a monument. A monument to me rather than to God. A monument to give me identity in myself. A monument to give me self-worth based in myself. A monument that reaches to the heavens that is symbolic of God being replaced in my life. Now again... We're free to develop technology and we benefit from it in many ways, but we are never ever free to think we can replace God. So let me ask you like a real serious question. What towers or ziggurats are there in your life? Are there any towers In your life? Now, I'm not going to name them for you because if there are any, you know what they are. Are there any towers in your life? You know, we benefit, like I said, a lot from technology. Uh, You know, think of the onset of electricity and all that that allowed us to do and allows us to do. When you think about computers, when you think about medical science, when you think about physical science, when you think about the internet, so many. Things, good things, come as a result of that. And it's enhanced life in many ways. It's simplified life in some ways. And in some ways, it's made life much more complex. But we really appreciate the benefits of technology quite a bit. Having said that, technology has the capacity to fool us. It invites us to think We are great. It invites us to think that we're someone special. It lies to us, and it whispers, you can save yourself. You can save yourself. And we are just gullible enough and foolish enough to think that because of my ability in technology, I don't need God. And many people labor under that illusion. And we find it very easy to be impressed with ourselves inappropriately. And that kind of thinking is just a flat-out lie. It's an illusion. Really, what it does is it inebriates us, just like the folks at Babel. And, you know, we like to look back in history at people like this and we think to ourselves, they're so primitive and we're so advanced. We've come so far. And I ask you, have we really? Have we really? Or are are we just making the same mistakes over and over again with different window dressing attached? What towers have we built in our life? What ziggurat? See, pride is a deadly thing. It's the source of the first sin of rebellion in Genesis chapter 3. And now we're going to see it again. And of course, we see it in our own lives with great frequency. And we forget very quickly that we are contingent beings. We are fragile beings. We are vulnerable beings. And we think we will never face judgment. Or or even the, the simple physical consequences of our actions and our choices. So what does God do? Well, he does what he did in Genesis 3. He does what he does all the time. He acts in our best interests. You hear me say this a lot because it's just over and over again. True, he did this in Genesis three. He's going to do this again here in Genesis chapter eleven, and we see this pattern. We rebel, and because he loves us, he admonishes us and disciplines us when he needs us needs needs to. And he acts in our best interest. We see this all through history. So let's read and see what he does in reaction to this. Verse 5. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower that the men were building. The Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then at least in their minds, nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. It's Greek to me. So let me just ask you. Do you think God confused the languages just to mess with them? And just to be kind of, I don't know, a little bit sadistic? Or do you think that, and, and we can be arrogant enough to think this, or do you think maybe he was threatened by their accomplishment? Or did he have a higher purpose in mind? and their best interests in mind when he confused the languages. I'm going to suggest it's the latter. So let me just say that I think all through the book, you see demonstrations that God has a great sense of humor. And right here in verse 5, we see a demonstration, I think, of the sense of humor of God. Because it says in verse 5 that the Lord came down to see the city and the tower. Now, this is, not, this is not ancient people with some primitive notion of God writing that, okay? Because they know, and the scripture teaches, that God is omniscient, God is omnipresent, God sees everything, he knows everything, and he is present everywhere. So the humor in it is this. Our greatest, tallest, most prominent achievement, the thing that we see as reaching to heaven itself is in fact so puny compared to God that he has to stoop down, he has to come way, way, way down even to catch a glimpse of it. And friends, that's meant to be funny. And it's also meant to make a point so God says because I love these people so much I'm going to do what needs to be done here because he knows that pride is our mortal enemy he knows that pride is the gateway sin to all the other sins because when we succumb to pride we start to think I don't need God, which is exactly what's going on here. I don't need him, not going to listen to him, and I don't need him. In fact, and I think this is more and more and more common, we think we are God. Now, we'd probably not say that out loud, but that's what we're thinking, at least some of us. We are God, and we won't have to answer for our actions. And this is deeply embedded in the sin of pride. This is why Satan loves to use this one so much. Pride is only and exclusively solved in the actions of Christ. One of the reasons we were singing the songs we were singing before this message. Pride is only dealt with by Christ. And how does Christ die with, uh, deal, deal with this? He does it. By exhibiting the exact opposite. Incredible humility. That's why it says in Philippians chapter 2. He lowered himself. And took on human flesh. And he goes to the cross. As the humble servant king. With the image of the towel and the basin attached. To deal with our pride which leads to all of our sin. And we, in turn, are asked to humble ourselves, which is really hard for us to do. To admit our sin, to admit our need for him, to admit that we are utterly helpless to deal with the things that we have chosen to do to repent of it, to say, God, I ask you based on what Jesus has done to forgive me for my sin and to help me to turn from it, which is what repentance means. And then would you just apply copious amounts of grace, of Jesus' substitutionary work for me on the cross, would you just apply that to my account in a sense? And I receive him as Savior and Lord, and it's only in the cross, only in the cross That our true self emerges. Apart from the cross. Our self is just a shadow. Of what it should be. And so because God loves them so much. He acts. And it says in verses 8 and 9. So the Lord scattered them from there. All over the earth. And they stopped building the city. That is why it was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world, and from there the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. So just like in Eden, when they rebel the first time, he sends them packing, and he short-circuits their arrogant, sort of self-destructive nature that's on display here, and he does it for their own good. And really what he's doing is he's pushing them to avoid this self-destruction and inviting them to receive his grace instead. Doesn't force them, but he just makes it painfully obvious to them who's in charge and what they need. Do you think God would ever do something like Babel again? Think with me for a minute about this. Do you think he would ever do something like that again? Or could it be that maybe he already has? Think with me about how hard it is in an age of communication where we have unprecedented ability to communicate with one another through Twitter, through Instagram, through Facebook, through email, through cell phones, through so many other things that we could mention, there'd be a huge list of avenues through which you can communicate. And yet how hard it is to actually communicate. I mean to really communicate. Think about how many lonely people there are in our world, in a world where, you know, the, wor- the size of the world we always say has shrunk because of our communication ability. And yet, how many lonely people are there? How many people are there just desperately longing for community? And it's because of all the different worldviews we have. Because we operate from so many different premises. Because many people think that any person's truth is equally valid. Which, of course, is ludicrous especially when they're in direct contradiction to one another. And in the church, we have engaged and entertained the idea and the language of relativism more and more. And we're rewriting history. And we're rewriting the definition and the understanding of many words. For example, if I was to pull the crowd this morning... I wonder how many different definitions of the word tolerance and how it should be applied would come forward. And so frequently when I speak with people, when they use a word, I'll say to them, and uh, what do you mean by that? Because they often have a very different understanding of the word. And so you have to ask what you're talking about before you can talk about what you want to talk about. Because communication is so hard. And so technology, as wonderful and as helpful as it can often be, all at the same time, doesn't it actually often erode relationships? Doesn't it actually often erode the ability to communicate? Doesn't it diminish it? Doesn't it actually make it increasingly difficult to be intimate in a relationship. And friends, we were designed by God to be intimate with him and to be intimate with each other. And in some ways, it's getting harder rather than easier. And just maybe we in the West, and of course we're seeing this In the rest of the world as well because, unfortunately, they're trying to emulate some of the not so good things about our culture. But we in the West are being scattered and our language is being confused because we are proud, because we think we don't need God, or that more commonly we think we are God, or that we won't have to answer for the things and the choices that we make. do I have any towers in my life?